Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Stem Cells at Lunch Digested podcast provided by Centre for Stem Cell and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. My name is Daria. I'm a PhD student here at the Centre and I will be interviewing today Professor Chen who is joining us from Baltimore State, Maryland uh, and who is a professor at John Hopkins University. Hi Professor Chen, thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you Daria. It's a, it's a great pleasure to join you today. Thank you for being here and agreeing to speak about your work on our podcast as well as the seminar that we've just watched. Thanks very much for a fantastic talk. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> yeah. Let's just give our listeners a bit of a introduction into your work. Would you like to give a few uh, sentences about your research subjects and what you do in the lab? Sure. I was uh, trained as a development biologist. You know, as a development biologist, I'm always interested in understanding how do different cells know what they are going to become, right? So we are all coming from one cell, one fertilized egg. However, we end up being having all these different tissues that you know our skin cell always do the job for the skin. You know our uh, muscle cell always do the jobs for the muscle. You know how do they know at a certain point during development they know what they are going to become? And then after they become this way, how do they know they need to maintain this, right? Because uh, you can imagine if there's a misregulation of that, it's going to be terrible. You know, you don't want your, you know, the gut coming out from the skin, right? Yeah. So uh, this is very critical and it's more fascinating to think, you know, all these cells carry the same genetic material. How do they know what part of the genome need to be turned on and what part of the genome need to be reliably kept off, right? So uh, these so-called uh, memory or epigenetic memories need to be maintained throughout, pretty much throughout the entire lifetime of us. Yeah, so I think that's a major kind of intriguing question that kind of bring us to uh, try to understand how epigenetic mechanisms play a role in this process. Right. Uh, so you mentioned epigenetic mechanism just very briefly. Could you explain what that word means? Because um... right, that's a great question. Yeah. So uh, it's composed by two parts, epi and genetics, right? So it is something related to genetics, but it's not identical. It's not equal to genetics. So it's not by defined by DNA sequences, but by uh, factors or associate, you know, even like uh, molecules uh, associated with DNA molecules. So it's it's on top of uh, uh, DNA itself. However, their functions are very important to maintain the DNA sequences to execute the right function in the right um, cell type and during the right timing of development. So you study how epigenetic regulation influences stem cells specifically. Yeah. That's that's your topic. So could you let us know what kind of stem cells you're interested in and how they're kind of different from others, if any, if at all? So as we all know, you know, we study adult stem cells. These are a subpopulation, a small population actually in the tissues whose activity are required to maintain the integrity of the tissue. So in another word, you know, in many um, tissues of our body or organs, like the skin, the gut, you know, uh, as well as in a germline, you know, in, especially in a male germline, their activities are required to maintain the proper function of these tissues or organs throughout lifetime. Yeah. So uh, we chose to study them 
simply because in these stem cell lineages, the a certain activity of stem cells can be reliably repeated many, many times during a lifetime of an animal. So giving us a long enough window to study their behavior at a single cell resolution. All right. So from your talk, which I just listened to, you are focusing on germline stem cells in Drosophila. So I guess my question is, and I, to be honest, always wonder that myself, what makes Drosophila a good system to study germ stem cell differentiation? Yeah, so in retrospect, it's kind of like, a, a, you know, we hit a, a great system, you know, even without knowing it, okay? So we started studying Drosophila germline stem cell, you know, because this is one of the first identified adult stem cells at a single cell resolution in any cell types across species, you know. So we think it's a great model because we know where the stem cells are. We have the tools to track their activity and function over time. Like nowadays, we can even do uh, movies to uh, track their activities in a uh, 4D manner, right? Yeah. So uh, and another great advantage for using fruit flies, uh, Drosophila, is because they are uh, very easily to be manipulated genetically. You know, we can make a transgene, we can make it knockdown, you know, we can hyperactivate a gene function, we can also compromise a gene expression in a very, very straightforward manner. Yeah, and also they are uh, very economically um, friendly and also, you know, easy to manipulate. You can grow many, many of them in a lab and their life cycle is extremely short. It's like every 10 to 14 days, you get a new generation. So you can imagine that's greatly facilitate our work because it's much easier to get progenies from, from the parents. The life cycle is also a great, great advantage. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you're studying germline cells, like the cells that the Drosophila flies used to reproduce, you want to be able to have them repeat the, the life cycle many times to see the effect on that. Yeah, so I think also germ cells is also a, another kind of uh, heart of our <laughs> research. You know, we love germ cells because they're very unique, right? On the one hand, this uh, in the uh, corresponding generation, these are very um, differentiated cell type. Like if you look at a sperm or an egg, you know, they, they look so different from other cell type in our body. You know, they are very differentiated. However, upon fertilization, they reset themselves, they start a new life cycle. So we also, we are very fascinated by this um, kind of immortality of germ cells with ability they can reset a life cycle. Yeah, they are absolutely fascinating. So from your talk today, the discovery that you presented is how the germ cells divide asymmetrically, but of course we know that they do, but you specifically look at how epigenetic regulators play a role in that. Could you Give us a bit of a brief about that. The first major discovery I present today is regarding the histones, right? Histones, you know, every 146 or 47 base pair of our DNA, there is this octamer structure. The octamer structure is composed of four kinds of histones, two of each, you know, they form this kind of cylinder structure and the DNA wrapped around them. You can imagine every 146 or 47 base pair has such a structure and every single cell in our body, each nucleus contains millions of such structure. So uh, our initial discovery identified that uh, this uh, information used to be think random or symmetrically distributed during DNA replication between, you know, when you duplicate DNA, you also needed to duplicate the epigenetic information. And the 
by default, people think this information is partitioned equally between the two daughter strands after the replication. However, our finding indicate this may not be true in this specialized adult stem cells when the cell needs to execute a distinct functions compared to many other cell divisions in the body. So here, one cell division is not just to simply duplicate itself to make more of it, but also to produce two cells with distinct journeys. They are going to do different jobs. So we found in this cell type, they actually distribute this information differentially between the two sides during replication. And later on, they also have a mechanism to distinguish this information between the two sides and to segregate them in a biased manner or in a manner with their particular purpose. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating that they just know which I know, yeah. and which proteins need to go on which side of the a stem cell. And yeah, it, it is yeah. really fascinating. And we are still fascinated by uh, how, because these cells can do this like all the time, right? It just recently we started to uh, visualize it and we started to appreciate and we started to understand why they are doing this. Yeah, biologically. So I guess one of the kind of major thing that I picked up from your talk as well is that not only uh, germ cells in germline cells in Drosophila do that, but you also observe the same kind of asymmetric division pattern um, of the histone distribution in other organisms and in other tissues. So you could you give us a brief about that? And what kind of uh, tissues did you use? Did you use them in the entire organisms like you do in Drosophila? Or did you kind of culture cells and observe this kind of phenomenon? What, what other kind of examples did you pick up? Kind of both, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for example, our recent work, uh, we utilized the gut stem cells. These are the stem cells residing in the mid gut, you know, giving because the gut, as you can imagine, the cells have a quick turnover, you need constant activity of stem cells to maintain this tissue, you know, without which the gut could be gone in a few days. Okay, so we find in this uh, just of the mid gut stem cells, they also uh, display this asymmetric histone inheritance. So this experiment is done inside the animal, so-called in vivo. So we were a- also able to, uh, for example, we collaborated with Dr. Shukri Habib's lab at King's College, you know, actually your uh, institute, to look at uh, uh, cultured mouse embryonic stem cells. And these cells normally divide symmetrically, just expand their stem cell population. However, uh, Shukri's beautiful work when he was a postdoc at Stanford University showed that uh, if you add a Wnt3a coated beads into to these cultured mouse stem cells, you can induce these cells to divide asymmetrically. So using this model, this collaboration leads to the uh, discovery that uh, the histones, old and new histones, display this local asymmetry during asymmetry dividing mouse embryonic stem cells upon Wnt3a bead uh, induction. Wow. Well, that's just that's just something else. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and did you did you have a chance, or maybe in future, do you think we'll be able to observe this in intact organisms like in mice or in humans? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, we are now collaborating with uh, a lab at University of Pennsylvania, uh, Doctor uh, Nicholas uh, Platcher. So uh, he moved his lab from Singapore to uh, UPenn, and uh, we are collaborating to look at this in early mouse uh, embryogenesis, you know, especially in the early kind of cell cleavage that give rise to the major lineage specification. And yeah, their data, I mean, this is their data. I probably should not talk too freely, but their, their data are very, very, 
very, very promising and beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So we actually uh, start to think maybe this can be used as a method to identify cell divisions during development that give rise to the major uh, lineage specification. So as kind of, you know, from the other end, you know, we observe this in the major lineage specification, but could also be used as a tool to identify them. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, it's very clear to anyone who's familiar with stem cell field how major a kind of a new method of identifying stem cells and their potential lineage would be for the field. That's that's just great. That's fascinating. I agree. And some of the new methods we have, such as just look at the entire histone amount, it's pretty straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. So you can do it pretty much without any need for generating a new transgenic animal or, uh, you know, uh, engineered uh, uh, tissue cultured system. Pretty much, it's a kind of pretty straightforward. Just go and see. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, and, and then, you know, go and see, and then you see and you believe, right? This is kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's great. Thanks so much for your explanations. Um, just the last kind of casual question I'd like to ask our interviewees, uh, is your uh, lab uh, functioning all right? Like how you are surviving this yeah. pandemic situation? Yeah, yeah, it's very challenging. You know, we our lab was entirely shut down uh, last March, mid-March, like around the spring break time. And uh, for quite a while, only one person can work in the lab. Wow. You know, we have to coordinate. Yeah, we have to coordinate to make sure we don't overlap in the lab. Only started from last uh, summer, you know, this uh, occupancy started to increase. So we, we start to have, you know, one person time and two, you know, four, you know, over time. So now uh, it's still not fully back to normal. We still need to wear a mask and uh, maintain the social distance in the lab. However, I start to feel a lot more interactions. And for example, we currently have lab meetings in person, even though um, uh, we all wear a mask. And that is a significant change compared to the online format. You know, we are a a lot happier and the interactions are a lot more dynamic. And uh, yeah, I, I just cannot wait. Things are keep moving to the brighter side and we can uh, finally become fully functional, hopefully in the next few months. Absolutely. Yeah, really, you know, <laughs> fingers, toes are all crossed yeah. for that. Yeah, well, our colleagues in yeah. virology and immunology are working hard to I know. ensure that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another great thing we should, um, I mean, this pandemic, you know, really teaches a lot, right? Yeah. And how much the science can help us to improve uh, health and fight against um, this uh, horrible, horrible um, disease. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for your inputs. And it was a pleasure to speaking. Uh, My pleasure. Sorry. <laughs> it was a pleasure speaking with you. I wish you all the best. And um, I hope that you will continue your fantastic research and kudos to you on uh, managing even through hard times, uh, achieve such uh, fascinating results. Thank you and- so much. I really enjoyed it. And thanks very much to our listeners for tuning in to this uh, new episode of uh, Stem Cells at Large Dentistic Podcast. It's been Daria from uh, Center for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine and Professor Chen from John Hopkins University at Baltimore. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.